Lord, just say, even as we've sung already, we are grateful for the good things that you bring into our lives, for the reasons that we have to sing praises of your name, uh, knowing that both in the good and the bad, you will bring us through all things through your sovereignty. So God, we thank you again for your grace. We thank you even for your word. And this morning, as we have uh, the chance to even read a portion of it, to study this portion of your book of Proverbs, I pray that you would speak to every single one of us individually. And you would open our hearts, that you would give me the words to speak, that in everything that's done today, God, you would be glorified first and foremost. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned, uh, we are going to be looking at the beginning of Proverbs, uh, specifically verse 1 through verse 7 of the first chapter. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn over there. I've been studying this uh, book for the last semester. It's been a joy to be able to see uh, just how practical it really is, um, how much it speaks to really uh, relevant topics for each one of us. But I think it's especially helpful for us in today's culture uh, because I think we as a society love to listen to conversations. Right. Everything from if you're just going, you know, to the news channels, whatever uh, channel you may go to, listening to the back and forth of people talking about a subject's happening even today. Right. Or maybe you're really into sports and you love listening to sports podcasts or sports center and hearing people's hot takes about which team is doing the best or, you know, uh, what so-and-so should be able to do in the thing. We love listening to people's conversations. And then especially, right, in kind of the, the younger generation, one of the biggest sorts of, of media content uh, comes from podcasts. Right? Of all different genres, of all different scopes, uh, people love listening to other people talk. Um, experts in their field want to hear different ideas. And, you know, maybe you're, you're of that group where you think, well, you know, I'm more of a spiritual kind of, you know, thing. But, you know, if you love listening to sermons even, right, from different preachers all over the world, or even preachers that have gone to be with the Lord, that too can kind of fall into that category, right? We love listening to people. We love listening to conversations and being able to learn more information. And one of the reasons why I love the book of Proverbs is it really is like listening to a series of conversations with the wisest man that ever lived. I mean, of course, besides Jesus, right? But in terms of just normal human beings, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. When you look at the book of First Kings, right, in chapter 3, you see how Solomon is rising into the throne and he has a conversation with God where God says, look, I will give you whatever it is that you ask for. Right? And Solomon turns over God and says, I want wisdom. Right? I want wisdom to be able to rule your people. I want wisdom to know how to discern between good and evil. And God gave him wisdom. God gave him the wisdom to become the wisest man on earth. And here in the book of Proverbs, we see much of that wisdom here for us. Right? If you really want to summarize, what is the book of Proverbs all about? It's showing us as believers, how do you actually live on this earth to glorify God? How does God want us to understand all of these things about life? This is God's wisdom for us. And when we read this first beginning introduction here in the first seven verses, this is showing us what is wisdom. How do you find wisdom and why do we need it? And so especially as you understand the world that we're living in today, how complicated it is, right? Every single situation you're seeing on the news, every single day is so complex. We need God's wisdom to know how to honor him. And so this is why we're going to be looking at the beginning. We see wisdom. And if you notice the uh, caption above, right, we were titling this message, The Good Life, because ultimately when we understand what wisdom is, it's not just a series of do's and don'ts, right? It's not just a moral code, but even as we sang from Psalm 34, God writes his word. He, He shows us how to live for our good as well as for his glory. And so that's what we see here in the beginning. 
We're going to go ahead and read just the first seven verses to kind of start our time, and then we'll go ahead and walk through it together. Here's what God says through Solomon in the beginning. This is the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord or the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is God's word for us here. It's all about wisdom and why we need it, why it helps us in life. And to kind of go through this uh, section together, we're going to kind of answer three questions. We're going to break it down in three parts, three questions about wisdom. Uh, First off is just going to be very simply, what is wisdom? Uh, Secondly, we're going to answer the question, who needs wisdom? And then thirdly, we're going to answer the question, where is wisdom found? What is wisdom? Who needs wisdom? And then where is wisdom found? But first, we're going to look at what is wisdom. And you see this in verse 2 and 3, especially in the beginning of verse 2. Right? You'll notice that all of these little sections start with that uh, word to, right? Uh, to do this. And they're really showing the purpose behind all of the book. But starting off with the main goal, which is to know wisdom, or literally chokmah. It's really a catch-all term to describe a skill. And, you know, you probably heard that description of wisdom, right? Wisdom is, is not just knowledge, right? But it's knowledge applied. It's knowing how to take all of the Bible and apply it to every single complicated section of life. And when you break down that word wisdom or chokmah, it really is describing the word for skill. It, it's a skill of an expert to be able to handle something that's difficult. Right? And so you can apply that to any kind of thing you see in life. The skill of being able to drive a car on the five in really bad traffic. Right? The, the skill of being able to cook a delicious meal with really bad ingredients. The, the skill of being able to play a really difficult instrument like the oboe or whatever it might be. Right? It's a skill to be able to do something that is not easy. You see that word used in a lot of the Old Testament, but especially when it comes to the building of their tabernacle. Right? You know in the book of Exodus, right, especially chapter 35, God is explaining what the tabernacle, what his dwelling place is going to look like. And he's trying to show you the very specific specifications of how this thing would actually need to be built. And if you guys have read Exodus, you know it's very complicated, right? The, the kinds of colors and ingredients and materials are very specific. But in that chapter, in 35, it, it says that God gave the builders skill or wisdom in order to do their craft. Right? It wasn't an easy task to be able to build their tabernacle. And so God, in his providence, gave them the skill or wisdom to be able to build that. And so what is wisdom? Very broadly, right? It's knowing how to act rightly in every single situation of life. Whatever it may be, as complicated as it might be, how do you apply all the different verses that apply to a given topic to that specific situation? And so if you've ever read Proverbs, you know how many different topics it hits, right? All kinds of facets of life, right? It talks about the importance of our words, right? The importance not just of what you say, but how you say it. Uh, knowing how to speak both in the good and the bad, how to speak when you're angry and how to speak when you're not. It talks about the importance of friendships and relationships. You know, how do you make sure you're bringing the right kind of people in your life and and are you really being discerning there? It talks a lot about money and the importance of hard work. It, It talks about dealing with emotions in all sorts of ways. So many different kinds of practical situations. 
And let me just give you two examples so you can get in the sense of, of why Proverbs is so important or how wisdom actually applies. And so here's the first one. The importance of words. If I were to ask all of you, what is the, the worst kind of sin or the most important thing that a, a believer needs to be able to grasp? I'm sure you'd all come up with your own idea of the most important thing. But if you're looking at the book of Proverbs, there, there's actually words as being the most important thing that's focused on. You know, one scholar says there's about 90 different references to speech in the tongue, about 20 alone just on the dangers of gossip. And I'll be honest, I didn't check those numbers myself. But if you're reading through it, you get a sense, yes, it really is up there somewhere. You know, if in the book of Proverbs, according to Solomon, ultimately according to God, what you say and how you say it, how you use your tongue is one of the most important things for a believer. Now, let me give you an example. In Proverbs 26, 23 through 25, Solomon talks about the danger of flattery. And he says this, Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Right? God is saying here that when you're a flattering person, right, when you're speaking words of niceness, but deep down inside you know that you're holding on to bitterness, that is like if you see this beautiful jar that's so intricately designed and inside is something utterly disgusting and vile. Right? I'm not going to elaborate on what that could potentially mean here, but it's the idea of you look so good on the outside, and yet inside is something that is so abhorrently disgusting. And so in the same way, Right? We in the church, we as Christians, we have to be so careful. It is an utter evil thing before God to flatter people. Right? Where you have this sense of, of hatred for whatever reason to another person in church, but because you know that we're here, you just want to act nicely. That is an abomination before God. Right? What is that proverb trying to say? It's saying that you have to deal with your heart, not just the surface of the matter. Right? It matters how you actually feel and act towards people, not just simply how you present yourself. We need to be careful of flattery. And so that's just one example, but there are so many others in this book of Proverbs about the importance of your speech. Let me give you another example. Proverbs talks a lot about relationships and friendships. The importance of knowing the people that are around you, especially those that are, are in your inner circle. And one of the common themes that you see in many of them is the importance of bewaring bad influences. There's so many warnings about being a staying away from the murderer and the evildoer because we become the people around us, right? There, there's a whole other section you can go into about the importance of being lights and gospel to all people, including to the worst of the worst. But there's also very much the principle that we have to be aware of that we become the people around us. Right? Those that you spend the most time with, those that are in your inner circle, for better or for worse, you will take on their attributes. You will think like them. You will act like them. And just, just as you hear in 1 Corinthians 15.33, right? Bad company corrupts good morals. We as Christians need to be mindful of who are we bringing into our lives. And are they having a positive influence on us or a negative influence? And so we need to be mindful of the people that we surround ourselves with. We need to be thinking about the friendships and relationships that we have. So there are just two examples. There's a lot more, but this is where wisdom lives. How do we navigate life? How do we navigate all of these situations that are so difficult and so complex in a way that honors God? Right? Things like, who is the person that you should marry? Right? Is this person really the, the kind of individual that God would want for you in your life? 
How do you understand what is a good church to be a part of? How do you understand what is a biblical reason to leave a church? How do you take all of the 168 hours in your week and use it in a way that's going to be prioritizing the right kinds of things? All of these situations and so much more. This is where wisdom lives. But I think we especially need wisdom for this reason that you see also in Proverbs. It's this. Most situations in life are not black and white. Would you agree? So many situations we encounter are not black and white, right? There are some cases that are very obvious, right? The Bible says, do not do this, right? Do not marry an unbeliever. Do not murder. And all of us can look and then say, yes, I get what that is. And yet so much of our real life situations are the types of interactions where what you're supposed to do isn't so obvious or clear cut. And so we need to be careful in those types of situations to still glorify God. Let me give you another example. This is Proverbs 27, 14. I really resonate with this one. It says this, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Right? You know, some of you guys might be morning people where you just wake up and you feel energized right from the get-go. Right? You, you go to bed at maybe midnight, you wake up at 4.30, and you're just ready to go. I am, but I am not that kind of person. And there's many cases, like when we go off to our summer camps or winter camps, where, you know, you have a middle schooler that's just shouting outside of the, the, the place, so excited to be there, right? They're, they're perfectly happy and fine. And that is a wonderful thing. But in front of me, right, who's still sleeping or sort of a groggy individual, even if you're trying to be the nicest individual, even if you're trying to say something like, I am so happy that you're here, right? You're not going to take it, or I'm not going to take it in the most uh, positive sort of way, right? We need to be mindful of the timing of the people around us. And this, right, even a good intent in the wrong situation can be harmful, There's a lot of things where you desire the good thing, right? You have a good intention, and yet you can do—it can lead to a negative outcome. In other words, right, some of the worst things that people can do can be done with the best of intentions. Would you agree? In fact, when you're looking in the church situation, as you see all the different kinds of conflicts that happen with people, one of the things I've noticed is this. Uh, In so many of the the conflicts that you see in church, both parties have some kind of biblical thing that they're going for, right? They have an ultimate desire that they can point to Scripture and say, look, this is so important. And yet the reason why we need wisdom is is what's important is not just the reason we do it, but what, what we actually do, right? We need to make sure our intentions are good, and yet how we live out those intentions also matter, Right? And so think about if you've seen this in your own life, right? I've seen so many times how a person may love their child, right? The, the reason, the thing that they're going for is love for the child, but it leads to the most irrational rage ever, right? We need to be careful of that, right? I've seen people that have this desire to speak the truth, right? They want their brothers or sisters to know the truth of God's word, but it leads them to give the most cutting, harsh words imaginable, Or I've seen too, right, a person who has this desire for this individual to become a believer. And they want this person to know God so badly, but it leads them to end up dating a non-believer and to go into a missionary dating type relationship. You have these very good intentions, and yet when they're not couched with wisdom, leads to harmful situations. And I love how this one pastor, Ray Ortland, says it. Even if we seek the holiness of the law, and we do, 
Even if we are inspired by the visions of the prophets, and we are, we can still make a mess of our lives, our families, our churches, our workplaces, our communities, if we are unwise. So where does Proverbs often speak to? It's this fact. The ends don't justify the means. You can have a good desire. You can have a good intent. And yet how we live that out before God matters. And what wisdom does is helping us understand how do you apply the Bible in a way that actually helps, not hurts. This is why we need wisdom. To understand in every single situation, how do we actually honor God? And so I know that's just the first word, but it's important to grasp this because this is really the theme of the entire book. And we're going to continue on in verse 2 and verse 3 to hear these other phrases. But I want you to understand that every single one of these descriptions is pointing back to this facet of what wisdom is. What is skillful living? And so let's move on together in the second part of verse 2, right? It starts off to know wisdom and instruction. So what is wisdom also? Wisdom is this. It's this posture of humble learning. Right? When it says instruction, it's this idea that we understand that we don't have it all together. That in order to grow in wisdom, we have to realize that we need to learn from other people. And it makes me think a lot of what I learned when I was going to the martial arts academy when I was younger. Right? One of the benefits of martial arts is no matter how good you are in school, no matter how, do you, no matter how good you are at other uh, parts of life, there's always someone that's better than you when it comes to the dojo, right? You go there recognizing, you put on that white belt, you're standing before a person that's literally called a master, and you recognize, I don't know anything, right? I need to listen to this person. I have to learn from this person. You have to put yourself under the teaching of the master, where you need to say, I need to learn, I need to grow, And that word wisdom here in verse 2, or the word instruction, really captures that same idea. It's saying that the heart of a person that has wisdom is this heart of humble learning. It's saying, I don't have it all together. I need to grow. I need to learn. It's a posture of humility. It's this posture of okay being wrong. Say, I don't always know the truth. I need to grow. And so wisdom is very much a, a spirit or posture of instruction. But then secondly, as you also see in verse 2, wisdom is this. The goal is to understand words of insight. What is this saying over here? All of us have experienced this time, right? Whether you um, are, are a parent and you have kids or you've been a kid and you've had this experience where you hear something and it goes in ear and out the other, right? You know, you're listening. You say, yeah, I get that this is really important. But then two seconds later, it just completely uh, goes outside of your head, right? You just don't even think about it anymore. Well, here, when when God is saying to understand words of insight, it's the idea of not just hearing insight, right? Not just hearing God's truth, but actually applying it, actually understanding it, taking God's word and say, I understand why this is so important, and therefore I am going to live it out. And so let me give you the two examples we looked at already, right? With flattery. It's one thing to say, I understand the importance of not being deceptive in my life, right? I understand the importance of of being truthful, but it's a very different thing to actually apply to yourself. Would you agree? To actually say, okay, in my interactions with people, even here at church or in the workplace, are there individuals that I just know I have a grudge against, and yet I'm faking being nice, right? And I need to work on that before the Lord. That's what it means to understand words of insight, not just hear them. And then also, too, as, we, as I talked about with influences, right? it's one thing to say, I get, I understand the importance of bad influences, right? I understand that I have to be careful with the people that are closest to me. And it's a very different thing 
to actually say, okay, let me think about my life. Let me think about my relationships. Am I being brought closer to God or further away and actually making changes if needed? Right? This is where you see wisdom come into play. It's, it's not just hearing the truth, but understanding it to the point where it actually changes your life. It's a clarity of conviction that influences your life choices. This is where wisdom lives. And let's move on to verse 3 over here. What also does wisdom do? It says this, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. And I know that this one is already going to feel controversial, but I hope you really listen to the heart of what you see biblically. When you talk about these terms, righteousness, justice, and equity, they're really three sides of the same coin, if you can even say that, right? They're three different terms that are very much all related together. And you see at least two of these brought together in Psalm 106, verse 3, where God says this, Blessed are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. And so let's go through each of these. What is righteousness? It's simply this, doing what is right. right? Doing what corresponds to God's character. Knowing the difference between good and evil and pursuing and doing what is good before God. And when you hear the term justice, I know it gets a lot of really bad press in today's world, but it's the idea of God's righteousness being done in all facets of life, right? In relationships with people, in the marketplace, people using fair weights, even in the the way that rulers govern, making sure that God's standard of good is being done and that evildoers are being punished. When you talk about equity, it's the idea of fairness, people being treated by the same standard. And so what God is saying here in verse 3 is that part of wisdom is understanding how God's righteousness is being seen in life. What it means is you're able to look at all the things going on and not be indifferent about it, but actually being able to look and say, this is good and this is evil, right? God's will, God's righteousness is being done in this government and not in this one. It's actually being able to discern in this kind of way. Right? And you see this done even with Solomon in 1 Kings 3, verse 9. Right? In that prayer, when Solomon is going before God saying, God, I don't have it all. I need your wisdom. This is his prayer. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? What is it that Solomon was ultimately seeking after when he was asking for wisdom? It's the ability to know what is good and what is evil in every single situation in life. And what is the first situation that comes after? It's this. There are these two prostitutes that come before the king, and each one of them had their own child, and they were living in the same house. And in the night, one of the children died, and because the, the mother realized that was the case, she went over to the other mom, switched the babies, and went back to sleep. And so both of these individuals, both of these women go before the king and say, look, you need to help us understand whose child this is, right? Well, one of them is coming up saying, they switched my baby and the other is denying it. Right? This is a complicated situation, wouldn't you agree, right? Difficult to be able to process. They didn't have DNA testing. They didn't have all the forensic stuff that we do today. It's simply two women coming before the king, presenting their case. And so what does Solomon say? He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to slice the baby in half. We're going to cut the baby in half. You get one half, and you get the other, and then we'll go along our merry way. I I can even see in some of your faces the sense of of wincing, and you should, right? Because that's a very graphic image. But that is exactly the point, isn't it? 
Solomon from there was able to see who really cares about the child. And so the, the mother who was the genuine mother of the baby says, no, king, do not do this, right? By, by all means, give the baby over to the other so the baby can live. And then the fake mother, the fraud is like, I don't care. Do whatever you want with the child. And from that response, Solomon was able to determine who the real mother was, right? It's an incredible story of wisdom. But here is how Israel responds. And this is where it leads back us to Proverbs in verse 28. It says, All of Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Right? Wisdom is the ability to discern between good and evil and how that applies to every single aspect of life. And so I don't have time to go into every single way that you can see that today, but I want you guys to hear this too. Right? Wisdom is very much being able to discern justice issues. Right? The social issues, they are not the gospel. They're not the thing that the church focuses on. And yet, if you truly are wise, we should be able to care about them as well. And so I know that's a lot, you know, a lot of different aspects, but hopefully you're, you're hearing this big picture. What is wisdom? Right? It's our ability as Christians to honor God in every single situation, in, in everything that's both easy and both difficult, the situations that are black and white and those that are very gray. It's us coming before God saying, here is how you want me to live. Help me to do so. And we don't have time to hear this, but when you actually apply wisdom, one of the themes that you hear all throughout this book of Proverbs is that wisdom makes life beautiful. Wisdom is good for your life. Even as we just sang in Psalm 34, following God is the good life as well. And so again, you hear in Proverbs 4, 9, wisdom will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Right? And that imagery that you hear so often is just saying that when you are truly living in God's wisdom, when you are living the way that he wants you to, when you're walking in discernment, that actually benefits your life. It brings a sense of dignity. It brings a sense of beauty to your relationships. It brings peace and it brings joy when you're able to live in discernment. This is for us. And so when you hear this, I want you to understand all of these, these, these wisdom principles that you hear in Proverbs. It's not just a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? It's not just God telling us what to do. It's not even the prosperity gospel. But God is saying, if you live according to my principles, if you grow in my discernment, this is for your good. And so I hope that when you read Proverbs, I hope that when you read the Bible, you walk around with that truth in your heart. God wants my good as well. This is to benefit me. And this is why we have to come before God's word. This is why we have to come before Proverbs, especially with the spirit of humility as we're going to learn about in just a little bit. And so what is wisdom, right? What is this that we're studying here in the book of Proverbs? It's the ability to live skillfully. It's the ability to honor God in every single situation for our good and for his glory. But secondly, we see this in verse four to verse six, who needs wisdom? And, you know, when you're reading this book, Proverbs, God divides everyone. You know, you can feel this is a little overgeneralized, but there's two major categories in life. A lot of you know this. It's what? It's the fool and the wise. It's the fool and the wise. And so here's what you see in verse 4. What is the goal of Proverbs? What's the goal of wisdom? It's to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. God is saying all of us, when we start out, are simple. 
And, you know, there's a lot of weird ways you can kind of take that. What does that mean? It's simply a person that is naive. It's a person that's gullible. And the way that it's used in this book, it's basically a person that can't fully discern good situations and bad situations. The idea is you literally kind of are waltzing around life and you're accidentally falling into ditches or you're accidentally meeting with the wrong people. That is all of us naturally. We are simple individuals. And I love what one scholar says. It's it's kind of offensive, but I think it's true. He says, a simple person is a morally brainless person. You know, basically saying, look, they don't understand how to actually navigate life just yet. And, you know, in case you feel too bad, this is something that I have experienced too. Every one of us are naturally in the state. Uh, And I experienced this very practically when I was in high school. Um, You know, being homeschooled growing up, I didn't always have the the best discernment when it came to real-life situations. And I remember one day when I was outside of my Taekwondo studio, there was this very shady individual that approached me. And even the clothes he was wearing, the way he was kind of disheveled in his figure, already seemed like your classic cartoon character con man. And basically, he, he pulled me aside to his trunk, right? He said, look, I, I got something for you. And naively, I said, okay, right? I kind of walked over there. And in his trunk, right, in his trunk, he had these boxes of super expensive stereo equipment. I mean, you know, looked at it, stuff that would have probably cost thousands of dollars at the time. High-end everything, surround sound, all of the bells and whistles. And he looked at me and said, look, you know, I got this for a really good deal. I'm willing to sell this to you for a very, very marked-off price. And I said, well, um... Yeah, that sounds great. But uh, unfortunately, I don't have uh, money with me, right? It's one a couple hundred dollars. It's like, well, that's okay, you know. Um, I noticed that we're right next to a Bank of America over there. In fact, if you want, you know, we can go over there together and we'll be able to, uh, you know, you can get the money, you can pay for it. And I sat there like, man, that sounds like such a great idea. Um, you know, unfortunately, I just don't have my card on me. And, and, and looking back now, I can realize his frustration in this conversation. I, I didn't see it at the time. It's like, well, okay, fine. Like, you look like a cool cat, whatever that meant. And he's like, so you know what? This, I'll, I'll give this to you for even just a couple hundred dollars. Right? You have like two or three hundred dollars on you. And in my most genuine way, I said, I wish I could buy this from you, but I just don't have the money. Right? And eventually, after a couple minutes, he kind of looked around and said, okay, I got to go. And, and then left. Of course, right? You're looking like, what on earth are you doing, right? Even my friend who was watching from afar was like, this guy is so shady. He's clearly selling you someone that's stolen or fraud. But I couldn't see it, right? Just in my naivety, I just assumed the guy had nothing but the best intentions, right? I was very much what the Bible would describe as a simple person. And so that's all of us. Right, what Proverbs is saying is when we start off, we start off as simple individuals. And the goal is to help us to grow in prudence and knowledge and discretion. Right? The exact same idea in verse 2 of understanding words of insight. You know, God is trying to say wherever you are as you're starting off, I want you to grow in this discernment to know how to navigate life situations. Right? To know how to avoid these awful, awful people. This is for you. It's to help us grow, to be realistic. And the danger, the warning that you see in Proverbs is if we're not the kind of people that are growing in God's wisdom, if we're not growing out of our simple nature, what happens to us? We become what God calls the fool or the scoffer. And this is a term you hear a lot in Proverbs. I encourage you to read through the book and just notice how many times you hear the fool being described. And you know, of course, right, what is the fool? You understand the most classic example is the person who rejects God But there are so many more descriptions of the fool. 
And this is where I think we as Christians, we as the church, need to be very careful that we're listening to God's word and, and really assessing our heart, right? Let me give you a couple descriptions that you see in Proverbs. There's a lot of verses, so we don't have time to read every one of them. I'll just give you the descriptions. The fool is someone who always thinks he's right. right? They always have things together. They're always seeing things accurately. They are good. The fool is a person who always rejects correction, right? Because they think they're right. When people tell them otherwise, they just don't believe it and they just don't listen. The fool is the person who complains a lot, who sees life, thinks that they know better. And so therefore, they're always complaining about how bad life and situations are. The fool is the individual who constantly criticizes and mocks people who think differently than them, right? Because they know everything under the sun. Anyone who thinks otherwise is a fool and a dumb person. And that's why God says in Proverbs 9 this, whoever corrects a scoffer will get himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Right? If you truly are this individual, if you've fallen into folly and arrogance, nothing that people will say will ever change your mind. And this is a dangerous, dangerous place for us as Christians, right? Sometimes we can caricaturize Proverbs and say, look, the, the fool is the person that rejects God. As long as I'm a believer, I'm okay. But God in Proverbs speaks to so many more dangers for us. Rather, the danger of thinking we're always right, the danger of not listening to people's correction, the, the danger of scoffing at people who view things differently. This is the warning that we have to hear. And what God is saying in Proverbs is you need to grow in a spirit of humility before you become the fool. You have to grow in the spirit of listening to correction, of, of being receptive to rebuke before you grow in this hardened heart of folly. And so even as you're listening, I would ask you guys to examine your own heart, right? Do you listen to correction? Well, when people tell you that they're saying things differently, do you respond by defending yourself and attacking them? Or do you respond by saying, Lord, help me to examine my own heart? We need to grow in this posture of instruction, as we've heard already. We need to grow in the spirit of humility so we do not become the fool. Because every one of us starts in a neutral place as a simple-minded individual. But over time, if we are arrogant, we will go one way. And if we are humble, we will go the other. So the question is, which direction are we going down? Are we growing in wisdom or are we growing in folly? And this is why the other person that needs wisdom, which you see in verse 5 here in Proverbs, is this. It says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. The one who understands, obtain guidance, right? God is saying this, wisdom is not just for the simple person. Wisdom is for the wise. The person who is truly wise in God's sight will always continue to grow. There's never a point where you reach perfection, but you're always trying to understand how you need to grow as a believer. And that's why in Proverbs 9, 9, God says, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser, Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The person who is truly wise in God's sight is always taking in the information, saying, how can I grow? Where am I seeing things incorrectly? Where am I wrong? It's the posture, again, of humility. And if I can very humbly say this, right, this is a danger, especially the older that you get. I hope you hear this principle very well, right? Getting older, age does not make you wiser. Age makes you more set in your ways. And I mean that even if you're 20 or 30, right? 
Age does not automatically make you wiser. Age makes you more set in your ways, right? We all have experiences that confirm what we believe, and the older you get, those experiences will just confirm more and more what you already believe. And so we need to be very careful, right? You know, however old it may be, if you're 20, if you're 30, you feel like you finally got it all together, whatever it is, we cannot have that kind of posture, right? We have to make sure that our experience and age doesn't become an excuse uh, for stubbornness. We as Christians, what is this posture of humility? How we should be, we need to be people that are always willing to experience correction, right? Always hear rebuke, always wanting to grow, And so a nice, easy way to check it, and do this for yourself right now, how often or when was the last time that you seriously took in rebuke? That your way of thinking, the way that you saw relationships and navigating hard things, when was the last time you were able to say, I am wrong? Because it's not saying that you will for sure change your stance on every single situation, right? There are biblical principles that are real and that we should be steadfast on. But if we are truly wise— If we're truly growing in wisdom the way that God describes here in Proverbs, we should have the spirit of, look, God, where am I wrong? How can I grow? Because this is the mark of true wisdom. And so, friends, I ask you this, right? Just hearing these two different characteristics, hearing these two different groups of people, where are you on that spectrum? Are you growing more in a spirit of folly, of arrogance and and stubbornness, of not wanting to listen? Or are you growing in the spirit of wisdom? of saying, yes, I will always continue to learn. I will always need to see the areas where I am in folly. Because what God is saying here is that every single one of us needs his wisdom, right? None of us ever arrive. None of us ever get to the place where we think we're, we're, we're perfect. We need this before God. And so what, what do we hear in verse 6 as we're closing the second section? As one pastor says is this, Proverbs is like coming into the circle of the wisest sages of the planet. That when you're reading this book, when you're listening to God's wisdom, it's like listening to all the greatest people on earth speaking God's truth, which we need. And so this book is for us. Right? We need God's wisdom to know how to navigate life. We need God's wisdom so we can grow in wisdom and not folly. And so let's answer one final question as we close out our time. Thirdly, where is wisdom found? And this is what you see in verse 7. A very simple principle, which all of us know. This is a verse that's very familiar to all of us, but let's read it together. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what is the fear of the Lord? How do we gain wisdom? We need it in the fear of the Lord. And it's very simply this. The fear of the Lord is awe and reverence that leads to wholehearted obedience. What is the fear of the Lord? It's awe and reverence of who our God is that leads to wholehearted obedience. First of all, it's a sense of awe. It's when you know who God is, you understand his character, you're growing in a sense of all of his attributes, so much so that you just can't help but fall on your knees before God. When you hear his holiness, you understand his justice, you understand all of his attributes, and yet you also understand that he is loving and kind and gracious. If you really grasp that, you will want to fall on your knees at times, right? When you're praying, when you're reading all of these verses, when you even read Psalm 34, there's a party that says, God, you are so incredible. Why are you so good to me? Why do you give me all of your grace and mercy that I don't deserve? It's this posture of knowing your place before God. 
And that is where the fear of the Lord comes from. And I love what you hear in Hebrews 12, right, where the author there is saying, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Right? Do you see God as a consuming fire in your life? When you're singing praises this morning, when you're just worshiping him on your own, is there the sense that you know your place before Yahweh? Because that is where the fear of God comes. And if you have that, if you know your place before God, it'll lead you to want to do whatever God says. And that's the second aspect of the fear of the Lord. Again, what you see in Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules that Yahweh your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments. What does the true fear of, the God, of God do? When you know your place before God, how does it manifest itself in your life? It's where you want to do everything that God says. You guys remember when we went back to Hebrews 11 last year, when we studied Abraham and the very graphic picture of him having to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar, right? The, the horrible picture of a man literally killing his son. But when God spoke to Abraham after the fact, when Abraham was fully willing to do it, here's what he says. God says this, Now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son from me. Right? Abraham's fear of Yahweh, his fear before the Lord showed itself in this posture where he said, even if this seems ridiculous, I will do it for God. Even if I don't understand, I will do this to God or for God. This is the fear that every single one of us needs to have as believers, right? This is what marks a true Christian. And so how can you summarize the fear of the Lord? It's very much this. It's saying that our whole life is centered on God and not us, right? What is the fear of the Lord? What is the heart of a true Christian? It's that our lives are centered fully on honoring and worshiping and glorifying God and not ourselves. And this is why you need to hear the book of Proverbs. This is the key principle you need to hear if you're going to understand anything in the rest of the 31 chapters. Because so many people walk into Proverbs with this posture of do this and and don't do that, right? Bad person, bad person. Make sure you're doing all these things before God. And that is not the heart at all of the book. The book is not trying to say you need to ultimately make better decisions. The book is saying you need a new heart. You need to love God. You need to have a right perspective of him. You need to love and fear him. And if you do that, then you will know how to walk in wisdom. Right? We need to make sure we have the right objective. It's not simply making right decisions. Right? If you don't hear this point, everything I've said before, it sounds like moralistic teaching. But we need to grow in our right heart before God. We need to fear him. And if we get that, then we can begin to learn God's wisdom principles. You know, one of my great fears and what you see so much in church is people go to church because they want to fix their life, right? They just want to make their their situations better. Uh, A child starts acting up and say, okay, we got to bring them to church. Or, hey, I'm feeling really depressed or I'm not getting my job. I need God in my life, right? For so many people, the danger is we're going after just wanting to improve our situations. But what do we ultimately need? What is the Bible all about? It's that we know and we love God. That's what we need if we want to grow in wisdom. This is what we need in order to learn everything here in the book. And so just as we're closing our time this morning, I I want you guys to examine your hearts here. 
before even how you consider your own situations, before you think about the messy, complicated scenarios you can uh, know that you're going through even this last week or this next week, before you even get all of there, do you truly love and fear God? Do you have a right view of him? Do you see him in this kind of big, large way where you understand he really is a consuming fire? Do you have that view of our Lord? Because if you do, then you can actually begin to hear and learn from God's wisdom. This is a starting place of wisdom. This is where wisdom is found. It's found in knowing and loving our God. And so how does Solomon end this last section? Verse 7, he says this, fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, he's ending us with two choices we can pursue. That we can choose to grow in the fear of God and therefore learn wisdom, or we can be like the fool and despise wisdom. It's very much what you hear in Proverbs 3, 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What is the ultimate choice we have to make? Are we going to love and fear God and therefore begin to grow in wisdom or will we reject him? That is the choice that every single one of us needs to make. And as Christians, as people of Calvary Bible Church, as those who claim to know and love our Lord, I pray that we would be marked by the fear of God, not just as religious obligation, but truly in wanting to know and fear him. And so what is Proverbs all about? It's the importance that we need. We desperately need God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom so we can navigate life in a way that helps, not hurts. We need to have this posture of humility. We need it because we're all tempted to grow more in folly and stubbornness. And we need ultimately to know and love God desperately in order to gain wisdom. We need this book. And I hope that as you're listening, as you read this on your own, as you're listening to all these chapters and all these adages of wisdom, that you understand that everything God has here truly is for your good as well. He writes these things for your good life, to grow in knowledge, to grow in holiness, to grow in peace. It's so we can worship him, but also live the kind of life that thrives because he cares for our souls. And so as we go from here, as we go into our fellowship groups, as you leave this building and go about the rest of your weeks, I pray that you would grow in wisdom, not just knowledge of what's good and bad, but grow in a way to be able to know and love our God more and more and live in a way that would honor him. It's found in reading his word. It's found in meditating on his book. It's found in praying and asking him for wisdom. So even now as we end, I'm going to pray that we as a church would become a wise church. Not just one that does good, but one that knows how to honor God in all of our lives. And so let's do that now. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for every single book in your word. It's written for our instructions, written for our edification. God, we thank you again for Proverbs And Lord, I pray for us as Calvary Bible Church that you would help us to grow in true wisdom. That we would know how to truly interact in every single situation in a way that honors you. That we would have a spirit of humility of wanting to grow more and more, never be stuck in our ways. And that most of all, God, we would love and we would fear you. And so help us, Lord, to live in a way that honors you. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.